searching for significance and finding meaning in times of pain. This podcast is in serial format and can act as an audiobook of sorts. If you're listening to this for the first time, I suggest that you go back and listen to them in order. You know, you wouldn't want to miss anything important. With that being said, let's get started. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Philippians 3, 4 3. Chapter 3 Earning God's Love Through Good. Once I got the chance to work with the American Cancer Society. It was an exceptional experience, and I loved building something that I perceived as more than a show or a ticket. I wanted to help people. Thus started a vision of an agency that would help causes tell their story. I wrote the business plan and was crying when I finished it. I felt God needed to get this done, and he needed me to do it. Notice I said needed there. My wife heard the vision and asked me to pay off our debt first. So with great motivation, we did. We paid off 25 grand in six months and then I was off to the races. I started in my basement and built my website. Nonprofits seemed to come out of the woodwork. I felt exhilarated as the checks would come in just in time for the bills. I worked on medical causes, churches, missions organizations, and more. It was a long-awaited answer to prayer. I was given the chance to use my talents to help humanitarian causes for God. Soon I had more work than I had time. I hired my first designer and we moved from the basement to a shabby workspace next to a train. The kind where people would ask if we were in the train station when we were on the phone. We fixed it up and before long I hired my first actual employee. A smart guy who came in and helped us with sales and operations. Everything's exciting when you're building it and it just works. You put paint on the walls, buy some new furniture and start practicing the story you'll say in your pitches. I included a lot of my former experience because it worked well. I told of the big brands and being called away to help the humans. It was mostly true, except for the part where God called me away. Really, I was miserable and begged God for years to let me work for him. He either gave in or allowed me to see what life was like when I tried to earn his love through good. Probably the latter. Good. That was the thing that God needed me to do. Did people have problems? Yes. Why shouldn't I be the one to help the causes helping the people? That in itself was not bad, except for I thought by helping people, God would love me more. No, I never said that, but I felt it. I was trying to earn God's love because deep down I thought that he would see the real me and be unsatisfied with who I was. I was right. It's just that God didn't care about my performance. He cared about my heart. I see now that I did some good, but did it on my own. Another way to perform. We had another boy, Garrett, and life went on. Fast forward and we had five employees and a few interns. I did over 100 strategy sessions that year, and we earned over a million in revenue. We had hired a talented team and moved into a swanky place in an architect's building. Recognizing the pattern, I remember one of the clients came to visit on a busy day when everybody was there. I remember him saying, wow, you're really growing. And I said, yeah, 
you would be too if you paid for them to be here. I was stressed, as well as my team. We were growing, but we kept having to find clients to feed the beast that we'd created. I even made my operations guy a partner, so he wouldn't leave when he was spent. A rookie error. We were looking for some relief, so what did we do? We started thinking of new ideas, ideas that would make us feel significant again. We started advising, doing seminars, like we knew what we were talking about. We started believing our own advice and tried our hand at other entrepreneurial ventures. We hired a president and decided that our first business had worked. God had given me something and I took complete credit for it. Sure, a humble one that never would have said I did it without God, but I thought it. You could see it in how I spent my money and what I didn't give to. That's when it happened. It would come to be known as our single point of failure. We had one and only one programmer for our websites, and we had six websites we were building. The guy's wife had suddenly gone into a very premature birth. He came to us and told us about the situation. He didn't know what was going to happen and needed the month off. Depending on what happened, he might have to quit. He was scared, and rightly so. I wanted to be in the position to help. In fact, I should have been. But I took some poor advice and didn't treat the business the same as I did my personal finances. It was too simple, they said. We took out a line of credit and it included our personal residence, which my wife didn't realize. He quit and went freelance. We didn't help at all. A point that was one of my many business failures. It's also a personal failure. By the way, he's okay and his family seems to be fine. He doesn't say much to me. It started a domino effect of problems. We had to hire companies to take over the programming work at twice the cost. To cover the cash, we had to find new clients, which were not there. We skipped pay cycles and didn't pay ourselves. My partner and I tried not to take salaries until we were profitable again. Eventually, we were out of money, and the other clients we had were finishing up projects. We went from $1 million in revenue to $70,000 in debt and $30,000 in vendor bills. It crushed me. Sitting at a cafe with the remaining team and dividing the equipment, I was so upset. I couldn't even say anything. I listened as the guys decided what to do and left without saying a word. It was a hard time for everyone and an enormous failure of leadership. As I said, I did some splendid work but forgot why I was doing it and who I was doing it for and got distracted. Second Samuel tells the story of David who was God's chosen king of Israel. He had killed a giant slew many armies, and the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. In one battle, David stayed back, even though he normally led the troops into battle. He went to his roof and saw a woman bathing on another roof. No, the moral of the story is not to take a bath in a roof, though you probably shouldn't do that. David was very attracted to her and had her brought to him. He had sex with her, which I guess you could being the king, but may also say where women were at that time. In a real soap opera fashion, she became pregnant. When her husband had returned, he told him to lay with his wife as a reward, but he wouldn't because his men were in battle. So instead, he sent him back to the battle and told them to put him on the front lines. The man died in battle. When it came time to build a great temple for God, God wouldn't let David because of what he did. Sin can distract even the best of us. We mean to do good, and we get distracted by the things of this earth. One thing I find incredible is that one of the children of David and Bathsheba was Solomon considered to be the wisest man that ever lived and the builder of the temple. If you follow the line, it was his line that led directly to Jesus. God made essential good out of David's sin. Does God give us great things? Yes. Does he take them away and teach us something important? Yes, I believe so. 
I worked off the clients I had worked to and wound the business up, which can be harder than making it. In God's mercy, my church brought me on as a creative director, and another company allowed me to work for them every Friday. I worked for two years to pay off the debt from that business. God allowed me to ask for something and work it off in love. I see him in every bit of it now. Some say that the business was not a failure. I think the entire business was not, but it's not around anymore. And no matter how I spin it, God used that failure to bring his glory. So I would look at him for my significance and the one who gives and takes it away. That church was an amazing place to heal. But even though I had just been through an important trial, I continued to prove my worth to that church team. It was embedded in me that I had to earn my way into God's graces. I had to help everyone I could, be a great man of God and work for him in order to be righteous. I didn't understand that no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't meet the requirement he had. God is holy. He doesn't need our success or leadership. He doesn't need us to run a ministry. He is God and he can do anything he wants. Saying he needs anything is just another way to make ourselves seem more important. Like my pastor always says, there is nothing that you can do that will make him love you more or any less. My last year at the church, I was the most I had ever weighed and didn't feel good about myself. What was helping rebuild the team turned into getting in the way and I looked elsewhere where I could feel important. I had a trainer friend of mine that part-timed at the church. One morning I sent him a text that read, I was ready. I traded him marketing coaching for physical coaching and I started on my workout journey. He worked out of the gym and I met him there. It was so intimidating. Guys with six packs were lifting immense weights and throwing them around while the women who were almost as big as the guys were climbing ropes. Any one of those women could have killed me, I thought. I met my friend and we started slow. That is to say, I moved faster than I ever have for longer than I have ever moved. I did this for months while not eating anything with sugar in it. I was hooked and saw the results. Turns out when you exercise every day and eat less food, you lose weight. This was great. I talked about weight loss, what I was eating, the exercises I was doing, all the time. I posted about it on my social media. It was my new identity. Why? Because it made me feel like I was winning. I lost 40 pounds and was in the best shape of my life. I looked at the mirror all the time to make sure I was staying in shape and checked the scale every morning. My wife loved the new me and she did that for a while, but it made her feel bad about herself. It had the opposite effect I thought it would have in our marriage. I can hear it now. So I should choose to be unhealthy? No, I don't believe so. But just like singing, business, and tons of other things, we are looking for something that proves that we are winning at the game of life. We post pictures on our social media of a great vacation, of a workout routine, of our house projects, because we want to show people we matter and are doing great. Meanwhile, we're barely keeping together. And if we are, we are building a house of cards that could fall at any minute. Want to lose weight? Then you should. Want to make more money and save for retirement? Then do it. Goals are great, but they can lead you to believe that you did it. You made it happen. It had been four years at the church, and I had a feeling that my time there was up. When I started, the creative team was moving to the next stage of life. The video director was becoming the middle school pastor. The project manager was going home to work with the kids. The graphic designer had her third bout with cancer that would eventually claim her life. And the worship leader that had hired me was being promoted to executive pastor. I had a lot of work to help rebuild. Eventually we did, and I had a great team. And I got bored. I can't remember how many times I pulled out my experience, 
but they never seemed to care. They didn't know the companies or personalities I'd worked with, and the vocabulary I picked up was like speaking Chinese. I created decks and strategy models that they got bored with. I was searching for significance again, even though I was working at a church. I picked up one very important value though, people before projects. But having to care for people and having that be such an important part of the culture stuck with me. To this day, a person with a need can always interrupt a project I'm on. All the efficiency books might tell you otherwise, but I believe Jesus loved this way. I came up with a job I thought would satisfy me. It was a development position at the church where I accomplished the projects I imagined in the community. I think they gave it to me to be nice or because they partly wanted it, even though it wasn't their core mission. In the end, me and the executive pastor, who I should mention was a mentor of mine for 20 years and who married me and my wife, had it out. I left. Sure, there was fault on both sides, but where was the peace? Where was the patience? I left because I was trying to earn success and significance and couldn't find it in business or ministry. I felt even more like a failure. My friend seemed to have rejected me, and I felt lost, hurt, and not even sure I believed in God anymore. I was lost. I didn't know who I was anymore. Was I a singer, a marketer, or was I a minister? I was depressed because I put my identity in what I could do. In one of his sermons, John Piper, a well-known theologian and seminary teacher, said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God wasn't looking for my good work in the church. He wanted me. He wanted me not because of anything I could do, but because he made me and wanted me to simply be delighted in who he is. When someone is on their deathbed, they don't think about their 401k. They don't think about their stuff. They think about their life. They think about their family and how God or the universe or something thinks about it. Before embarking, Steve Jobs didn't make a keynote about his death. He looked at his sister Patty and then for a long time at his children and then said over their shoulders past them, Oh wow. Oh wow. Oh wow. Maybe he said that about his family and maybe he said that about the experience. He certainly didn't believe in God. I wonder if after a life of work, he faced moving on and didn't have an iPhone to do it with. Lesson learned. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. You know, from a very young age, we're taught that if we want to earn um, a pat on the back, we do the right thing. Um, we don't break the rules. Um, and it's really hard because in this life, that's really how the world works, is that um, you do good things and you get rewarded for it. And, um, and depending on what you think the reward is, sometimes it's love from people. Sometimes it's a success in, in, in terms of getting what you want. But either way, we're, we're very trained um, uh, to earn love that way. And everybody reacts in different ways. Um, and there's healthy versions of this and non-healthy versions of this. But I can just tell you, you know, uh, what it was like for me is that, um, uh, you know, eventually somehow I picked up, um, and my parents uh, were, were not necessarily, um, didn't withhold love at all. They, you know, pretty much showered me with it and told me I could do most of what I wanted to. Um, but somehow I ended up getting the, um, the feeling that 
that uh, everything was based on what I just did. So my my love that I would receive from whether it was peers or um, or people like that was completely based on how funny I was or how um, you know talented I was or or the thing that I just accomplished, and uh, that ended up turning into you know earning love through success, which you know. Um, Success. I think uh, honestly, I just recently heard a, um, a a sermon that that was talking about success and suffering being the ultimate tests because they reveal the idols of our heart. Right? You have success, and um, and when you have a lot of success, you don't just think you're smart in that one area that you had success in. All of a sudden, you become uh, a genius in in everything, like how marriage should work and how wisdom should work and all these things. The same kind of thing seems to happen through suffering as well, where when we're putting all our hope in one particular thing and that thing goes away, something like a relationship or, um, um, you know, our kids or a career or something like that, that's where our hope is in. When it goes away or it changes, it breaks us. It doesn't just go, it doesn't mean that we just have to change something. It, it, it affects who we are as people because um, all of a sudden the thing that we're putting our hope with in is gone. And so it means that we have to put our hope in something that is is um, more eternal. It's better than those things. Um, that's something that we can't earn. Um, and I talked a little bit about earning God's love through good. So that's what this this chapter was mostly about. And if you're doing good things and living wisely and giving back to people, then all of a sudden God owes you love because you're doing the things that caused him to love you in the first place. Um, and, and the people around you, what, what's hard about it is that the people around you, um, might see that and say, oh, great. What a great person. What a great. And so it makes you want to strive for those things, but that is also not how God, God seems to work. He doesn't seem to work where you earn anything. In fact, there's nothing to earn because if we look closely at ourselves, even the best person in the world that I can think of, you know, um, even the best, even some of the best people have intentions. They have, um, they have something that's going on in their head. They may not play it out, but, but they're, they're, they're kind of evil at heart. They don't mean to be, it's not on purpose, but they are, there's something wrong. You know, the Pharisees and the Jews, um, made it part of their lifestyle of keeping up with the rules and the word of God and the law and to make it to where their whole life was about living morally, which was a really good thing. But then because of that, they ended up kind of um, looking down on people that, that couldn't handle it. And, um, and Jesus told two things. He told a, a parable. Uh, you've heard the parable about the um, a prodigal son, you know, somebody that, that runs away and takes, takes everything, all, all of his inheritance and does all the wrong things and then comes back and his, and his father runs to him. Um, but he also told about that, uh, about that second brother, which we was talking to the Pharisees, that second brother that, that, that stayed at home and did all the right things. And when his brother came back, he was mad that God would give him a second, not even a chance. He cut, he threw a party for him. He gave him his clothes. He gave him his, um, he gave him his inheritance back, um, which probably took from the son. It, it didn't seem fair to him. And, and Jesus actually said to the Pharisees, he goes, I'm telling you, if you even look at another woman 
that you're committing adultery. And he didn't say that so that we could go, oh, no, well, they're, uh, you know, that's one more rule to keep. I think what, what he was saying was that it's impossible. You can't control your thoughts, really. I mean, you can you can work to make them think about more God honoring things, or you can you can do things like that. But you can't control. I mean, if sometimes uh, you know a relatively like um, evil thought comes in your head, and you're like, "Where did that come from?" And what Jesus was saying was that you don't need to have a great thought, or you don't need to perform well. You need me. You need me because I can live that way, and I can, um, and, and I'm, and I love you. You need me because I love you, and there's nothing you can earn. And I'm just going to come back, and I'm going to um, transform you, and and we're going to depend on the Lord together. And I'm going to live your life for you. And so some of those things, those moral, it's it's really hard to think about because those moral things that happen, they happen because Jesus changes who you are. Over time, he, um, you know, the fruits of the spirit, the peace, patience, kindness, things like that, they're, they're not things that we just achieve. Because if we do, uh, if we do achieve them, then we think that we're better than everybody else. We have this, we're the brother that stays home, we're the people that kept the rules. And we think, of, and, and we're sinning in that. So even the very best that we can do is like filthy rags it's 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 not um it's not holy it's just relatively maybe good and so what i've learned is the only way that we can get through that that the the fact of earning what success looks like or earning god's love um earning love from other people that that might see what we're doing is to look at everything through the lens of the gospel the lens of the gospel says that that my heart on his own is completely deceitful, that I was dead, spiritually dead, and that God loved me enough to come in and, and, and uh, bring me back to life through the truth and understanding who he is and then me seeking him because he allows me to. Um, and that is humbling in itself. It means I couldn't do anything for myself. He was just doing it. Um, it also makes me look at other people and go, well, what is God doing in their life? And I'll go one step further to say, I used to think that there was things that, that I could do that would cause somebody to be, either be convinced or um, I'd try to move forward in God. And really, it's about about God's transformation of them and me being obedient to God. And um, it's it's almost, uh, you know, it's me being, um, it's me being an instrument for him because he's doing something through them. So there's nothing even to earn there. Um, there's no earning at all. There's just the gospel, which was a free gift and a gratefulness. And that gratefulness leads to the fruits of the Spirit. It leads to peace. It leads to patience. It leads to kindness. And there are times that I don't remember that, that I pursue success. There are times that... Um, that somebody says something and um, I, and I'll think, oh, I'm not earning their love and they don't love me. And it's one of those it's one of those things that immediately is taken down if I can get my mind to think about the gospel and dwell on the gospel, because the gospel does it does change everything. It's it's the one thing that I can look at that I didn't deserve I didn't deserve love I deserve death because I wasn't holy, but I also couldn't be holy. And God was holy, 
and I placed my faith in him, and he came and clothed me in righteousness. That's what we deserve, and that's what we're offered. Um, so that's what this chapter is about. It's not about the fact that somebody has accomplished that or how to do something. I mean, if there was one thing I could recommend, it's understand the gospel and live in it. Because when I know when I don't, I sink like crazy. This episode has been brought to you by Helping One Guy. Helping One Guy is an honoring dinner thrown for a man who is going through a life-changing crisis. When I had mine, I didn't know what to expect. What I experienced was people giving me something I didn't deserve and that I couldn't repay. This service emulates the gospel of Jesus Christ in so many ways. Please become a monthly donor and help someone who is going through a crisis at helpingoneguy.org. Be sure to download the next episode of Success and Suffering by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts.